The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. I just want to say I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the chance that we have now to gather and to sing, to pray, to preach, and um, be refreshed by God. So with that, let's, let's consider 2 Corinthians. Over the last several weeks, we've been working through 2 Corinthians 2, 3, 4. We've heard a persistent treatment of new covenant, of gospel-centered ministry. Paul's been revealing how that ministry is to be done, like last week, he talked about how it's been in a straightforward way with full integrity. He's been clarifying what that message is about, what the ministry consists of, Christ crucified for sin to bring righteousness and to bring the gift of the Spirit to people, make people new. This ministry is what Paul's all about, what we are to be about in, in all of our different ways. And Paul has said repeatedly, this ministry is glorious far more than anything that Moses had in the Old Covenant. There is surpassing, unending glory in this New Covenant ministry. But as soon as we say that, right there we have kind of a bit of a problem. Paul uses the word glory 10, 12 times in describing this, this ministry and, and the life that it brings. So we hear all about that, but... At the same time, everybody knows that Paul's life is anything but glorious. Truth be told, he's, he's kind of a walking hardship. He said as much in chapter 1. You, you may recall back in chapter 1, he recalled the, the dire straits that he was in in Ephesus as he heard the death sentence right over him, so to speak. He, he, was, he was a dead man. Everywhere that he goes, not just there, but everywhere he meets riots and hunger and imprisonment and calamities of all sorts. And even these people in Corinth, they don't really think very much of him. And back at home, frankly, where is Paul's home? He's kind of a nomad. He's, he's a homeless, penniless, barely respected guy. If you met him, you wouldn't think very much of his presentation or of his appearance. Nothing about Paul's life shouts out glory. Have you ever felt that way about your own Christian life? About your own experience? The, a disconnect that you feel between, on the one hand, you're, you're holding on to, you, you hear, you, you believe this is a good Good news. It's a good gospel that is precious and glorious and beautiful and powerful and real and it brings change and it takes us to a sweet life. And on the other hand, maybe your experience of this Christian message or of this Christian life Look around at your Christian friends or your, or your church that you're in here. It just seems like yeah, completely ordinary. Or maybe even less than ordinary. Hard and troubling and painful 
and just decidedly not glorious. Seems like things perhaps aren't what you were led to expect they would be when this glorious gospel came to you. I think a lot of us feel that way sometimes. I sure do. I'm a glass half empty person and oftentimes my Christian life looks like, wow, really? And that's what brings us to our passage this morning. We're in the middle of 2 Corinthians 4 now and this passage is, is gonna do something for us. The word of God is gonna first acknowledge the disconnect. It is, on the one hand, glory, and the other hand, not. It's going to acknowledge that and explain why that is, where it comes from, what's behind it. And as it does so, I think it's going to recalibrate our expectations and maybe change our hope horizon, kind of like the, the place where you're looking, expecting something hopeful and glorious. It's going to change it from here to there and, and kind of recalibrate what we're expecting here. That's what we're going to consider today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 7 through 15 and then draw out two observations from it. Here's the word of the Lord, beginning verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what's been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4. Two observations. Here's the first. God has important purpose in joining gospel ministry to a life of hardship. God has important purpose purpose in joining this this glorious gospel ministry to a life of hardship. Verse 7 begins, but we have this treasure. It's important to realize that he's still on the same subject he's been on all along, this new covenant gospel ministry. And this statement is another variation of what we saw up in verse 1, having this ministry. Like we saw last week, we, we have a glorious ministry by mercy It's a precious privilege, a calling, this offer of new life with God offered to the world. So that's a treasure. And we have this treasure, this ministry. 
but we have it in jars of clay, not in golden, bejeweled, diamond-inlaid display cases. We have a precious ministry in a clay pot, in earthenware vessels, what it literally is. You know, dirt, clay, mixed with water, baked, hardened. It was an extremely common, everyday receptacle. Use it for anything. Make oil lamps out of it, pots to hold things, all kinds of stuff, which is to say it was common, cheap, fragile, and disposable. That's us. We're just people, fallen and finite, here in a fallen world. Our persons, our bodily constitutions are fragile and vulnerable and easily damaged and discarded. We are pretty weak and we are pretty unimpressive. We have an immense, glorious treasure. The message of eternity held in a styrofoam cup. That's the stated fact. But the point of the passage is less to teach that and more to say that that is on purpose. It's it's set up that way by design. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show, it says, and, and literally it reads, so that there is divine reason here. We have this in jars of clay so that, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God has set it up this way so that no one anywhere will get confused. This ministry, this this message has power in it. And as you bump into such a powerful message, you see like things happen. Where this, this ministry goes, it has power to make sinners righteous. It has power to heal and to restore fallen, broken people and put them back into the proper, renewed image of God. There is power here to break Satan's chains and open blind eyes. Amazing stuff. Where does that power come from? From the styrofoam cup or from what's inside of it? From the clay pot or from what it contains? God wants to make this completely clear Because we are prone to get it wrong. We humans. We are always tempted to look at and to look to and then to revere humans, to, to, to marvel at them and want to be like them and then to lift up praise to the man. And so to make sure that that does not happen, to make sure that that does not happen, God puts this genuine gospel treasure in a human clay pot and then deliberately chips at it. He chips at us and he cracks us and he scratches and dents and busts them up a little bit so that the light of the gospel that's inside will shine out through the cracks and gaps and make crystal clear, make clay pot clear, that the only power worth praising is God's, not man's. That the only treasure worth praising and reaching for and and desiring and longing for is God's gospel power, not human power. Praise be to God, not to man. 
That's all on purpose. And so our lives, therefore, on purpose look like verses 8 and 9. We are in every way, and then we get four pairs of words that are, that are very close, but they're kind of building, and they're probably meant to depict for us a soldier in a military life. In every way afflicted, this is us, in every way afflicted, but not quite crushed, a soldier marches long miles, sleeps on hard ground, has a sketchy diet, lives away from home and family. It's affliction from sunup to sundown, but not crushed. It's perplexing. Not driven to despair, though, but it, it all leaves a mark. It, it is mentally and physically and emotionally trying. It's confusing and it's fearful and it's hard. It's, it's, it's perplexing, but it's not despairing level hard. He soldiers on. And in every way persecuted. You can picture the soldier who's marching and living and existing and then is, is being pressed in and is confused and is hard and now here comes the enemy, persecution. Threatening, coming after him, attacking him to do him harm. But he's not left alone. He's not hopeless. But he is repeatedly struck down. The blows land on his shield and land on his helmet and knock him to the ground. They don't kill him, not destroyed, just knocked down to get back up and to be again knocked down. To get back up, to be again knocked down as the hammer blow falls on his shield. He's in battle. In every way, all of this constantly the clay pot cracked and chipped up and gouged and dinged and scorched and a piece broken off over and over and over again, which to summarize, verses 10 and 11 is very similar, which adding just a couple of things. We Christian ministers, we, we Christians, and this is Paul's life and it's to be all of us who are faithfully following after him. We always carry in our bodies the death of Jesus. This is not just mental. It's in our bodies. Not, not just a spiritual metaphor here. It's, it's, it's observable physical life. Our experience in this world is one of constant affliction, perplexing, confusing, persecution, and pain. That's our lot in life, like it was Jesus's. The man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief By God's intention, on purpose, guys. Verse 11 says, note this, we are always given over to death. It doesn't just happen. We are given over to it by the Lord. He makes this be on purpose. So much for the nonsense that if God loves me, he'll always make me healthy, wealthy, and wise and always make the sunshine. That's not true. This is daily dying. And it has a purpose. 
To say something is on purpose means that it has a purpose. God's got a design in it. We saw it in verse 7, the introduction, but here it is again in 10 and 11. It's the same, but just expressed in a different way. Daily death, the daily death of Jesus, just like Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies, in our immortal flesh. In our real, lived-out, clay-pot, perishing lives. He says it back-to-back twice. Why am I given over to daily death? A life that feels like dying, it's not glorious, it's not prosperous, it's not full of wonderful ease and blessing and all kinds of stuff. I life is full of affliction and perplexity and, and pain. Why? So that... He tells us, so that a different kind of life can be shown, can be manifested, revealed in you. Not the life that would lead some, mislead some to say, man, you're something, you got it all together, I want to be like you. But they would show people as they look at us, you're nothing, but I want what's in you. God's not interested in, in misleading people or, or, or confusing the issue. He, he wants to shine the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ, not me. He wants to shine Christ through me. And so he's going to put this treasure in this frail, fallen earthen vessel to show off the treasure, to show off Christ's life in us. The real power that sustains us and keeps us from perishing, though we daily die, it keeps us from actually perishing. That's the power from God that God wants people to see so that God would draw people to God. It's what shows God to be beautiful and God to be powerful and God to be our all. That's that's clear here. Several times, so that, here's the reason, to to be really clear that there's a witnessing component in that. And so... That right there, that's, that's true. Our lives are for his sake. Our lives are for their sake. And that's actually where he ends up in verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. My life is for your sake. Brothers and sisters, it, it's just helpful to get this settled. It is completely common, and, and, and I know you know this, but, but check yourself. I think like this all the time. It's completely common to find ourselves living, what can I get out of this here? And to realize, it's not for me. It says, for his sake, and clearly, life in you. And we could skip ahead to verse 15. All for your sake. Paul's clear here, guys. He's clear. It's not for us. I'm a clay pot busted up for Jesus' sake for them. Fact. That's what's going on. And that's part of the reason for the disconnect. I I thought I was supposed to be blessed by this glorious gospel and, and, and that would be like good. Well, it is. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, but this is for others. We're here for him and for them. 
period. Okay, next sentence though, when I say period, that's the end of that sentence. But I think it's helpful to roll back through this one more time because it's not that there's nothing here for us. We have to be clear about that. Part of our problem is that we live too much like this. We were talking about that in this morning's life training class. We live too much like this, and somebody suggested, isn't it kind of helpful to live like this? Yep, for sure. To realize I'm for something out here for Christ and for others. Okay, but there's something here for me too. Let's walk back through this one more time. We can talk about God's purpose at another level, at a more personal level, one for us, and this is good. This is, this is good. We stand in Paul's shoes, experiencing life as a, a constant chipping away of a clay pot, and of course, part of us wishes that that would just stop. That it would go away. We, we often find ourselves, maybe even through tears, praying, Lord, ah, can you stop the struck down part? Can you stop the persecuted part? The affliction is incessant and hard. Well, I don't really want this, Father. And maybe we say that through tears. And it's important, Christian, son, daughter. It's important for you to realize that when, when you pray like that, if you say that sort of thing in a prayer, either literally or figuratively, Lord, Father, I don't really want this. Your father's answer to you, if you ask that question, is something like, son, daughter, I don't really want this for you either. I thought you just said he did it on purpose. Yeah, but follow this. I don't really want this for you either. You're my beloved I don't enjoy giving you over to death. But I'm doing that so that I can actually plant, nourish, and cause to blossom a different kind of life in you. Son, daughter, something in you needs to die if something else is going to grow in you. The life of Jesus is going to blossom and thrive within you. You need that. And you will find great, full delight in that. Others need to see that too. That, that's, that's the witnessing component of this. But you yourself need that. And it will be a delight to you when you find that. You need a supernatural life blossoming in you, a, a dependence on God who raises the dead sort of life. And that life cannot grow, son, daughter, in the life of self-competence, the life of self-trust. You can't grow in that soil. 
They're mutually exclusive environments. So I gotta clear away that toxicity. There's, there's a soil that's poisoned here and I gotta, I gotta plow it away so I can put a different soil down there that this plant, this life of dependence on God, this Jesus life will blossom and grow. That, that's good for you. That's the real life that I mean to deliver to you in the gospel. But I'm about a process of clearing away something else. That's what we did with Paul, recall. And we talked about this in chapter one. Paul talked about, we already referenced it this morning, Paul's allusion in verses eight and nine of chapter one to Ephesus and the difficulties he had there and, and despairing of life itself. And then he tells us what that was for. It was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, I look at that now and I realize that God had purpose in that. God had purpose in chipping up that clay pot to make me rely, to move me from rely on self to rely on God. That's what Paul experienced. Great trial. He had no more resources. He had no more capability. He couldn't do anything. He was the end of his rope. God has to take us there to leave us broken before him. Kind of like this, before him. I don't have anything. I can't. I don't know where to turn. This is so hard. This is so challenging. All my resources are are, are empty and, and powerless. I can't do it. I can't handle the pressure, the persecution, the disappointment. This world and this walk is too much for me. Lord, help. And then the life of Jesus, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus takes root and begins to blossom in that environment. It does not take root and begin to blossom while well, we still think we got it and we're okay. We need this for ourselves. This is what it looks like to be transformed, to be renewed in the image of God. This is what maturity looks like. Not me living, but Christ living in me. And that Christ living in me, that life of Jesus in me, this passage explicitly says, comes about after it's the reason for God bringing daily death to us. Not just for witnessing's sake, for our own sake. All your daily death, Christian, is for this good purpose of God in your own life. His doing good to you. Others will see the supernatural life of Christ in his, yeah, for sure. Others will see some sort of a thing there. You're, you're struck down, but you're not destroyed. Why? What's the reason for the hope that's in you? They'll see that and they'll ask. And that is, that is good. But this is God's goodness to you also. It's how he brings maturity to our lives. How do you feel about that?
it's okay to say, I kind of wish it could happen some other way. Because I kind of wish it could happen some other way. Anybody who's ever gone through any kind of physical training knows, well, I mean, I got to do a certain number of reps with a certain amount of weight to get the outcome that I'm looking for. It'd be nice if I could just sit here and it would come that way too. It doesn't though. It just doesn't. It's okay to wish that it was. It's okay to be honest with God and say, God, I wish there was another way. I wish that somehow I could avoid this death and find life, but not my will, yours be done. That has to be our answer. Jesus said that himself. It's okay to say that. Lord, is there another way? I'd love the other way. But not my will, yours be done. My life is for your sake and for their sake, and I understand that you're doing something in me for your glory, for their good, and for my good. So how do you feel about that? At the end of the day, do you ultimately say, not my will, yours be done, trusting him to be doing you good so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. He says that twice. His aim is to bring you life, the life of Jesus. We can trust him with that. If he was not about bringing you the life of Jesus and planting that in you and causing it to flourish, he wouldn't have bothered with the cross. He's out to do you good, to give you life. Trust him. There's a supernatural power at work in us and that will show itself to others as a Christian loses everything daily and yet blossoms with life. That's the kind of life we want now, here. What others need to see in us now, here. What God's doing on purpose in bringing us trouble. Trust him with that. But there's also more. Because it doesn't just, we don't just live here through hardship and finding life, sorrowing and always rejoicing, which comes up in a couple chapters. There's actually something to come afterwards, the second point. Faith in future glory keeps us ministering now, keeps us pressing on in ministry now in the life of hardship. Faith in future glory keeps us ministering now in the life of hardship. Coming into verse 13, what's, if, we're, if we're just to read it through, what's kind of ringing in our ears here is death, given over to death, carrying in our bodies affliction and struck down. and It's all a sobering reality check and it's, it's hard. So what keeps us pressing on in that? What keeps Paul pressing on? Keeps us following Paul pressing on in that? Well, part of it is the realization that the life of Jesus is growing in me now, but also then part of it is verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, he says, 
That is the same internal attitude, the same spirit of faith, same as what he's going to quote here. There's a psalmist who wrote Psalm 116, which is a very similar context to this, this life of suffering. There's actually a line in that psalm if you were to go back and look at it. The snare of death encompassed me, the psalmist writes. But then the psalmist also expresses a spirit of faith. We have the same spirit. The psalmist writes, and Paul quotes, I believed, so I spoke. The psalmist did that. Paul says, that's us too. Belief, speak. That faith, the belief, is what lies behind the speaking, the, the ministering, the continuing on in that. What specifically do we believe? Well, verse 14. Knowing that God the Father will certainly raise us from the dead. He did Jesus, and he promised to do so with all who are in Christ. We will be raised imperishable. This is the message we believe, not just that daily death and daily life is, is all there is, but daily death and daily life one day gives way to eternal life and no death. He began the resurrection already in Jesus, like the first fruits of a great harvest, and he promised that all who were in Christ will also with him one day be all gathered in, raised out of the grave. Christian, you will come out of the grave, raised to glory. It says in the middle of the verse, the Father will raise us just like he did Jesus, raise us with Jesus, and with you present us to himself. All Christians together will be raised up in glory, brought into the presence of God. That's at the heart of what makes this gospel a treasure. You and I, we, you, we, Get into the presence of God where there is fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. We have no right to get there, but God in the gospel gloriously, sweetly, what a treasure, has made it possible, made it actual that we will stand, come out of the grave bodily alive again and stand in the presence of God forever. You will live in the heavenly kingdom where there are no more tears because there is no more affliction. Here we are in every way afflicted. There, never again. Here we are always constantly struck down, persecuted by enemies. There, there are none because there is no evil. Not ever, not ever again, not ever. Do you see that moment? Right now, we can see the world real clear. But part of how you live in the world right now with it real clear is you see more clearly a world that's coming when I come out of the grave and I come with all of God's people into his presence and he wipes away every tear and says, come, have a seat at my table and feast with me forever. Here's the kingdom of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and you. My goodness.
suddenly, as my mind goes there, suddenly the 10, 12 times Paul uses the word glory makes sense. Makes sense. Christian, we are on a path. We are being led through this, this life, and all along the way, somebody's chucking rocks at us. Some of them bounce off, some of them hit you right between the eyes, and you think, okay, what he just said was, God is doing good to me, and that God's growing me, and that, okay, I guess I can sort of buy that. But the rocks still fly. Not forever, though. I don't want to preach next week's sermon, but I'll just mention light and momentary affliction comes up next week. This all sits in a context here. The problem is I'm going to take seven days off before I talk about the next couple of verses. Light and momentary. The rock hits you, yeah, light and momentary because what's coming is glory. Really? Glory. That's the path you're being led on. The path is not just the part where the rocks fly. The path is also the part where you die and go into the ground and also the part where you come out of the ground and see the Lord face to face unveiled and are with him then forever. I think that's probably good. Is it good enough? What do you think? You've got to kind of ask and answer that question for yourself. Is it good enough? I, I believe that. Yeah, but do you have a spirit of faith? And I know you, you intellectually believe that, that. That checks all the proper theology boxes. But do you have a spirit of faith? Does that actually live as moment-by-moment moment belief in you? Faith. I don't know. How, how, how would I know? Well, Paul said, we believe, and so we speak. One of the ways you could tell if you, if you believed this, and I mean believed it believed it, if it actually was this, this attitude of faith, would be, what am I speaking after that? Am I continuing to speak of this message in a way that may well bring me more stones, may bring me more hardship? Or am I speaking what's coming out of me, some combination of complaint, grumbling, despair? If that, if the resurrection with the people of God into the presence of God is enough, what will come out of you is, and so I speak. So I press on, continuing on in this life, in this life of ministry, come whatever hardships may.
if it doesn't actually live as an active, as a, as a, as a controlling truth, as a, something you believe, then what you're going to find is uh, I'm actually downcast and full of grumbling about this. I, I can tell you that's true because that's where I live sometimes. I do. I, I know all this truth, but it's not enough for me sometimes because what I really want is for the rocks to stop for crying out loud because they're in complaint, 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 and grumbling. Brothers and sisters, lift up your eyes and see the coming kingdom and know this. He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him, will bring you into his presence. That's glory. Bank on that and give your life away now speaking. Which for some of us may mean actually, I mentioned a little bit of this yesterday when we were uh, speaking in the congregational meeting about ministering and, and reaching out to others. For some of us, what that may mean is wind the verse back a half click and say, I believe and therefore I pray and look for opportunities to speak. Because sometimes I, I need the opportunity to speak before I actually speak. We all realize that there are ways I could avoid some of this clay pot hardship. I could just keep my mouth shut, and that would significantly cut down on the blows, the affliction, the persecution. If I just kept my mouth shut, people would think I was a nice guy, and they wouldn't have anything to say or, or any kind of, a, of a, a rub with me and Jesus. And I could just kind of keep my head down and kind of move through life, and some of this would go away. It would. Of course, I would undo verse 15 also. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, how does grace extend to more and more people? We God's people, we God's ministers speak. Grace extends to more and more people. That increases thanksgiving to the God who saves. And that glorifies God. I, I could step back and keep my mouth shut and keep my head down, but grace would not spread, thanksgiving would not grow, people would not be saved, and God would not be glorified. I'd be safe. That's unbelief, Christian. That's beneath us. We actually want to walk the road of hardship because we want the life of Jesus to blossom and flourish in us and we want people to experience the grace of God. That's what Christ wants, Christ in us wants that. We want thanksgiving and praise and glory to the God who is the power who saves. We want that to flourish and grow. And we want the great big family feast at the end where all of God's people are gathered into his presence and hear from him, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into my joy. We want that. 
We don't want just to be kept slightly more safe now. Believe that, Christian, and keep speaking. Or for me, that often means look for opportunities and pray for them to speak. Because I need actually spots to speak. Maybe you do too. All of this is what he's doing in us. All of this is his purpose. To use us as as a visual display. This is what the gospel looks like when it takes over a person. This This is the strength that it gives them. This is the hope that it gives a person in the coming future. This is a way to endure a hard life now and a way to be delivered from it completely then. He's using us as a display for that, and that means, yes, we will walk a path of hardship, but Christian, believe this. As you do, God's life flourishes in you, and he one day raises you from the dead and delivers you to glory. That's what he's doing. Trust him for that. Be used by him to shine the light of Jesus out, pass the treasure on to others. Let me pray. Father, will you help us, please? Will you convince us of the goodness of your wisdom, of the kindness of your love for us? You lead us on a path of hardship often, but not forsaken. Help us to believe that. Will you cause the life of Jesus to flourish in us? for our good and for others' sake too. Will you shine the life of Jesus out of us to build your kingdom, bring glory to your name? And will you send Christ again to finish the whole thing up? To bring the kingdom in fullness? To raise us out of the grave? Lord, that's our hope. That's what we look forward to. Bring that day. Until then, use us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.